welcome to Second Act Podcast. As I always say, it is a continuation, yet an evolution, the act of finding meaning, fulfillment, and a deep sense of purpose. In the beginning, I thought this medium would be a place to learn from experiences of others. During what this platform has given us and so many recordings that we have done, the name itself has become synonymous to so many different ideas. For some, it spells hope, for the others, inspiration, and for me today, it purely spells power. It is a place where people come to narrate their experiences, a place of learning and viewing the world from someone else's perspective, a place to share, learn, confess, express, and take away. We at Second Act truly believe that learnings happen through conversations. Every time that I have thought of how will I take the name of this gentleman who's sitting right here on a Zoom call with me, uh, my tongue gets a bit twisted. So, Nekatarius Leolios, uh, I hope I've got it right. Uh, you are a person with a, a completely financial mind, but a very sweet, warm heart because you work on the mental health space as well. I've never come across the right and the left balance so well. And I want to talk to you about that. How do you do that? You are, um, of course, a podcast host of a series called Naked. What a bold name, what a beautiful name. And I hope that our conversation today is as naked as possible, because I think that's what your intention is with your 60 episodes, where you bring out the vulnerability of entrepreneurs. So welcome, my dear friend, from all the way from Germany, Greece. You're a Greek guy, I know, but I don't know where you're stationed right now. So <laughs> it's a beautiful place to be. I'm looking forward to this very nice conversation, Nick. I will put it as short. Welcome to Second Act Podcast. Thank you for having me, Archana. It's a pleasure and an honor being here. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's kind of funny. I was listening to your introduction and actually... I'm, I don't think I am actually a person with a financial services mind. I've been a person in the financial industry trying to survive with my non-financial <laughs> mind. Oh, okay. um, but uh, because the, the industry needs people like us as well, uh, the ones who bring the humanity into this. Um, but ultimately, and we're jumping ahead a few steps, but I left the industry because I felt I couldn't deal with <clears throat> certain aspects of the industry anymore. But um, no, thank you. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. It's exciting also to contribute to a conversation that you've started with your podcast, because it's exciting to be able to share the acts we go through life and encourage people who may be curious and keen, but not courageous enough to jump, Oh yeah. Uh, to see that other people who've jumped landed somewhere. <laughs> So do you believe in courage or do you believe in destiny? Let's start with that. Oh, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, when you're, so I'm 55, I've been around for a while and sometimes I get young people to ask me, so <laughs> what was the strategy or what was the dream? And I always say, I'm probably the least athletic person you can imagine, but I've always been a surfer. If I saw an opportunity come along and it looked nice, then I'd just jump on that wave. So I don't think it's destiny. I think it's we, in life, we come to points where we have to make choices. And sometimes it's not very obvious. Uh, and usually we make the safe choice. And for some reason, I never had the safety need. So I just jumped. Um, 
I just jumped in. I had this conversation actually two days ago because I've started a new startup. And at the moment it's, it's going a little bit difficult. It's a little bit difficult. And, and I was saying, and I, and I meant it <clears throat> is that if for some reason I end up working in a sandwich shop around the corner because I've run out of money and I can't do this, that's okay too. So that's beautiful. Yeah. Probably more courage than opportunity. Uh, and des then destiny, if, if I were to go back to your to your language. <laughs> so you said another startup. So how many startups do you have an experience on? Um, <clears throat> so there's a direct or hands-on experience. So I'm now on my fourth business. Oh. And none of them successful to the degree that I could retire on a tropical island. So please, for okay. the listeners, this we're not talking about somebody who had multi-million dollar exits, <laughs> but somebody who's made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot and still feels that there's things that nobody else will do. So somebody has to do it. Um, but in my time, uh, I also spend working with startups and those go into the hundreds or thousands because I used to run Accelerator, I used to run a startup competition. So I had hands-on, very close working relationships with with a lot of young and old but often first-time entrepreneurs that's great so i want to know a little bit of background on your neck because there's not much which is spoken on the linkedin um you know that's the only place where i could find you so tell us a little bit about your background what did you do and why are you doing these various acts now um yeah um so i'm I'm a Greek national born into an immigrant family in Germany. So I was, I've been an immigrant all my life. Um, I moved to London in 1996 at the age of 29 because I wanted to live in London. And wow. then I fell into the financial industry. It wasn't choice. I spoke multiple languages, I understood computers. Um, so I got a job in an organization that needed somebody who can do both. Uh, and that led me to a career in financial services. I spent 17 years in the industry left the industry because I got increasingly frustrated. I um, then realized that the thing I wanted to do, I could only do by doing it myself. So I became an entrepreneur by, not by design. And it took me about two years until I was actually comfortable enough to use the word entrepreneur mm. uh, because somebody else had started the business and I just came in as a co-founder, but much later with a different twist, with a corporate innovation twist. Uh, so we changed the business. We grew uh, the business called Startup Bootcamp from a very small organization to a global machinery with programs, startup accelerator programs around the world from the West Coast in the US all the way through to Australia, including a program in Mumbai. Wow. And... Um, and after five years of doing that and working myself to death and building something great, I walked away from everything because I just had reached a point where I was physically, mentally, and emotionally tired. Wow. I decided to take a break. Uh, that break was not what I expected because the day after my last day at work, my dad passed away. I was dealing suddenly with very different challenges, but I still had this itch of doing something one of them was to actually help entrepreneurs who were struggling with that mental health because I've seen so many do that. And again, nobody else was looking at that. Somebody had to do something, so might as well be me. I also got involved with the financial industry again by starting a fintech company that resulted in the launch of the first LGBT bank in the world, oh, in the US. So nice. And 
it all goes back to a lot of the entrepreneurial stuff has been things that somebody has to do it. Might as well be me. So this is where I'm right now. I've I've co-founded sorry. I've co-founded a lending business, which is uh, lending to people that are ignored by the banks for a very specific reason. And this is the one that's been going through a difficult week. And this is the one where I'm thinking, I thought I've learned all this and I've tried to avoid some mistakes. And guess what? <laughs> still <laughs> made mistakes, still go, get difficult, and you still learn to, how to deal with it. So tell me something. It's very interesting. Your work is so interesting. Everything has such a powerful purpose behind it. Then with so much challenges that come in entrepreneur's life, why do we still want to be an entrepreneur and leave our very cushioned business <laughs> class life? <laughs> you you kind of gave me a word that I will use. Um, let's take a step back. I, I fell into a corporate life. It was literally not something I had. When I was a, a young gay teenager in suburban Stuttgart, Germany, I wanted to be a choreographer and a breakdancer. Wow. But for an immigrant child, that was never an option. You need to get an education. Education is everything. I was a disappointment to my parents because I didn't study medicine or law, because I studied political science, because then I thought maybe something that wow. has to do with talking. And um, so. I um, think that happens only but... in India. No? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> we are the only Absolutely. people who disappoint parents by just, you know, not doing things that they want us to do. <laughs> You you do not own this answer now. My partner oh, okay. is Chinese. It's the same thing. He's an engineer, which was borderline acceptable because it wasn't law, medicine, or accountancy. So there you go. Um, so um, I, I spent 17 years in this industry uh, not feeling really connected. It paid well. It was a job that was interesting, but there was no, no passion. But also, you use the word purpose. There was no purpose. So when I ended up leaving to start this new building, it was because I believed in the purpose of what I trying to achieve, which was fundamentally changing financial services so that more people can benefit and more people have access. So there, it was a purpose-driven thing. When I left that job and I was trying to figure out what to do next, I started seeing a therapist uh, because I knew that in those five years, my my personal identity, my professional identity had merged. There was no line anymore. Mm. Um, so I knew that walking away from this would mean that I'd need to process giving up something that I felt was part of me. And she got me to, she wanted me to draw and I really don't like drawing. So I had to kind of squiggle some stuff, but ultimately it was illustrating visually what are the things that matter to me and what are the things that don't. And the three things on, on the top, on the good side, was I really need this to be somewhat purposeful. So it was a very values-driven mindset. The second one is I need this to be fun. I really need to enjoy what I'm doing, and I don't mind the hard work if it gives me something that I would put into the into a play or fun category. And the last one is I need this to be with people that I enjoy being around and trust and value. And the bottom side was status, money, recognition of whatever, right? So to your question, the things that I've started or I've been doing for the last 12 years of my life or 11 were all, to some extent, linked to these things. The mental health business is impact-driven. The LGBT bank is impact-driven. It's not impact in the traditional sense of impact investing, et cetera, et cetera, but it affects people's lives in one way or another. Right. And at the same time, none of them has yet to be so commercially successful that I can have my 
my startup exit. But guess what? It still is the thing that allows me to go into difficult conversations and difficult weeks and go, well, we're doing this for a reason. And we're doing this because of the people who we want to service. So it's important to me. I think I want to ask you many more questions on that, um, but I have so many more to ask as well. So we will talk <laughs> on the side for these things. But tell me, Nick, um, you know, you, you've been speaking literally from the heart and, um, you know, I really appreciate that. And I want to applaud you for that. And thank you so much uh, for being so authentic on my podcast. And that's what this place is all about. But do you believe in the power of manifestation or law of attraction? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have this question in what do we believe? And you will so one of the things as we get to know each other on the podcast you will learn from me is I find it really difficult to give binary answers because my world exists <laughs> in nuance and shades. Um oh. <laughs> I think the manifestation, I realize that some of it has happened implicitly. So I would never sit down and say, five years I want to be. I want to have achieved this, so I want I want that. Because going back to the surfing and the waves and the playing, this would for some reason limit me, limit my opportunity to stop something that ended up being boring or not no longer purposeful. So I I I've never had that. Yeah. I think for me, my approach is actually very, very different. Is I just jump into something because it's fun yeah. or because it's attractive or because it fits with the values that I've I've kind of realized and defined. Um, and then I'll just go as long as I can do it. And if it doesn't work anymore, then I'll just either correct the course or stop doing it. If I had something that I would manifest, it would actually, it would hinder me from doing what matters to me. No, my Does this make sense? Yeah, perfectly. But I my, my question was more because you drew something and you threw it in the universe. So you have got a purpose, you have got fun, and you have the other things, but you don't have money. So you know what you need to do? So, <laughs> <laughs> I never make this mistake, by the way. Money is absolutely parallel to everything else. Because I mean, this, of course, money is a big consequence to how you also look sure. after yourself and your well-being. I think we should also be clear. I, I don't sleep on a park bench. I'm very comfortable. <laughs> Why? We can and that's also that. important, right? I need I need to have safety. And safety translates in a variety of different things. I have a couple of passions that that I need to I want to be able to afford, but I don't need extravagant amounts of money. Maybe that's is the way I should have phrased it. Thank you. I want to ask you about mental health now, since you're working very closely on this topic. Um, you've done 60 episodes and with so many various people who have shared their stories, how they feel and their vulnerability. What comes out of you know these episodes when you actually do it, sitting across and listening to these stories? Does this discourage you? Uh, clearly not because you again started a startup, but I'm just asking what happens there? Shall I tell you a little bit about why I'm doing this specifically yes. on mental health? Yes. Because that would probably give the context for yeah. the answer. Um, I grew up in a home where at the age of 12, my mother was diagnosed with severe depression. So for pretty much all my adult life, I was dealing with somebody in my immediate family who was had a mental health illness. 
and was not equipped to deal with it, despite medical attention, uh, because my parents were just not, uh, mental health was not the thing that they fully grasped. So my dad did his best. The kids were kind of trying to accommodate it, but it was not a very healthy environment from that perspective, despite there being all the love and everything else you would think of in a normal family. So I had an awareness about mental health and how it can impact people quite early in my life. Uh, in my early 30s, I thought I'd gone, I've been in a relationship for a really long time. I got into this, I got, my first relationship I was 20 and I was there for 37 years. Uh, sorry, for 17 years, I was 37. And, and when I came out of it, I kind of needed to process that with somebody neutral. So for the first time, I sought out a therapist. And it was during the therapy process that I realized there's a lot more to explore and a lot more things that if I thought about them earlier, if I had that tool earlier, I might have done differently. Wow. So my mental health awareness journey for myself started when I was 37, uh, 38. And, and the reason I say this is because that opened my eyes to also observing what's happening around me. I love, I'm, I'm, I'm a naturally curious person. So I love watching people trying to make sense, uh, what their motivations, why do they do the things that they do, try to apply empathy and all that. But that led to me then at some point starting Startup Bootcamp. And in Startup Bootcamp, we dealt with a lot of people who became entrepreneurs for the first time in their life. Some of them very young, like the cliche startup founders, like, you know, three young guys in their 20s, early 20s in hoodies and sneakers, doing some cool stuff. And you realize that a lot of them were living a life that was very much defined by the Silicon Valley paradigm mm -hmm. and having no awareness how to protect themselves from all the challenges that were about to come. Right. It's difficult enough to convey it to somebody close to you, but how do you do this to somebody who's so blinded by these shiny lights? Yeah. And, and so we tried even in the accelerators to get people to think a little bit more about this. We brought people in to talk about conflict, had office hours for people to talk about their emotions, but there was something there where you felt we need to do something a bit more systemic. Right. Um, when I left all, all of this behind at the end of 2018, I kind of knew that I needed to deal with my own demons and what I mentioned earlier. But I had never experienced grief in my life. So losing my dad was a very different experience. But my therapist pointed out there were a lot of parallels between leaving my business behind and between losing my dad. And at some point, she drew a very different connection because a year before that, I lost a lot of personal possessions in a fire, what? which I didn't really process. Uh, so there was a lot of multi-layered grief going on there, right? Um, so when we started talking about with my co-founders about what we could do to help entrepreneurs navigate the choppy waters of entrepreneurship. Um, a lot of it was, first of all, just talking about the fact that in the entrepreneurial world, you're more likely to have challenges that affect your mental health. It's one thing to be annoyed about your boss and go home and go home and he or she does this or that, or have these kind of annoyances. This is another one where the business is struggling. You're, you're worrying about how to make payroll or your investor has pulled out the term sheet at the very last minute or whatever it is, because it affects your identity as much as it affects your, your, uh, the practicalities of your life. Yeah. Um, so the podcast was really meant to invite people to come and do three things. One is to talk about the journey, to talk about what they started building how they started realizing something wasn't 
going well from a mental health perspective. Very importantly, talk about the signals that they ignored because usually you only acknowledge these signals afterwards. Then be very explicit about how they realize that they hit rock bottom. And then, because we want to leave people with hope, to also talk about what are the tools and the practices that they started applying so they can actually be better in managing and dealing with their business. Mm. And some people have said, this was so painful, I'll never want to start a new business again. I'll go back into the corporate world or I've removed myself completely, whatever it is. And some people very much said, look, I now know better how to avoid certain things. I realize it's a process and I'll give it another go. And well, some people are still in the business. They just have found better ways. One of our founders, for instance, she talked about, she, she went through a really, really difficult co-founder conflict situation. Yes. And one of the ways she learned to deal with it is that she would be very open about her mental health struggles with her team. Oh. And at the other end, you've got people who would never admit that there's something's going on because they feel as a boss, you need to be the rock and keep up the facade. And But we could talk about so many different experiences. Out there. There's so many different things. There's people who, uh, there's a woman who's a very famous chef, um, because for us entrepreneurs are not just the tech founders, right? It's people who are building businesses. And yes. she was talking about how she had no idea about finances. Mm -hmm. She was in negotiations with the bank. There was a real risk that the bank wouldn't give her the money and how she was sitting on the floor crying the day before uh, the loan was supposed to be signed and literally having no way out, mm -hmm. right? There was a female entrepreneur, a hardware entrepreneur out of Malaysia who had a government contract and when the government fell apart because of the corruption in Malaysia, she lost all her business practically overnight oh with God. six kids and no husband. And she was saying that I was sitting there thinking, if I don't wake up the next day, at least my kids will get the life insurance. People who have questions around identity, people who have, have suicidal ideation, people who uh, depression, anxiety, eating disorder, substance abuse, the whole spectrum. And the idea of this is that you give people a platform, you create a safe space, and you know that whatever you do, as uncomfortable as it might be for you, the listener, it's never going to be as uncomfortable for somebody who's actually experiencing it right now. So hopefully there's some inspiration there that people go, you know what, this is exactly what I'm feeling right now. Maybe I should talk to somebody. And part of it is also about people learning to give themselves permission to say, I'm not well, I'm struggling. And yeah. entrepreneurs are not very good at that. <laughs> I think it's an ecosystem which doesn't allow us, to be honest. I, I don't know what to blame or who to blame for it. Now, I think the way, like you said, you know, it starts with the family, the way we are put in a pedestal to perform, uh, you know, and then told many times that you're not good enough. And then the peer pressure and then... You know, we put so many hard tasks on our own selves. I don't know what what is that one single reason for you know people to experience or suffering or yeah. It's, so you put some really interesting things on the table. First of all, there is there are cultural elements. There is also one of the things you always want to know is what is your support network. Right. And for some people, it's family. For other people, family is a stressor. Right. Yeah. Some people it's like at least I can talk to my husband and other people go, I can never talk about this with my wife. Mm 
because she's already mad at me for taking a risk with the family money, you know, that sort of thing. But when it comes to the more systemic side of things and ultimately the future farm, the business that, that we have um, that deals with this is not trying to just raise awareness. It's also trying to call those to task who are part of the problem. And there's a couple of categories. One of them is investors. The majority of people we've spoken to who are very clear about that things were bad but things got really bad when we had some venture money coming into the business because really? investors don't care. The majority of VCs, and we did, I mean, we both, Vladi and I, or the three of us, Nadine, Vladi and I, who founded the, the Future Fund, we come from a, a background where we understand investment and we have very close relationships with different types of investors. So we did a survey at the beginning um, trying to understand how VCs, family offices, private equity firms, but also limited partners who invest in funds I think on the subject and it was shocking to see how little people cared because as a VC, you know that this is a numbers game. So you're going to spread your risk and you know that nine out of the 10 startups investors will not do well, but the one will make you money that compensates for all of the pain. So people said to us verbatim, I don't care if an entrepreneur has mental health problems. If the startup fails because the CEO fails, that's just part of the game. Right. When we started this as well, we, we looked for data and research, and there was only one researcher in the US, this amazing gentleman called Dr. Michael Freeman, who we're now friends with, um, who, who we ended up talking to, and we had him on the podcast. And the very last question that I asked him is, if there was one question you would leave a VC with, or anybody really in the ecosystem, what is it? And his question resonates with me, and it always gives me goosebumps. He goes... Do you care about entrepreneurs as people? Mm. And guess what? Ask that to your VC friends and you'll see what they feel about it because they really don't. <laughs> so investors are a problem. Media is a problem because they kind of perpetuate the cliche of, oh, here's another company that had a $100 million exit. Yeah, There's the lifestyles, the, the big cars, the hanging out with rappers, the, the weird stuff that Elon Musk is doing. All this kind of feeds a narrative. <laughs> And the last one is policy. So we also believe that policy can influence to some extent as well. But we've started our work on this on this side of the equation uh, by trying to educate investors. So we we actually figured out over the last twelve months that the big thing is that majority of investment firms don't even have an awareness. So we just actually we just announced about a month ago um, uh, a masterclass called the Compassionate Investor Masterclass where. Over two hours, we educate people on what does it actually mean? How does this affect the success of the business? And how can you as an investor actually contribute to the business as being better and increase your chance of actually making more money out of it? You have touched so many chords. And, you know, since I've started my entrepreneurship journey, I always keep looking at people who are having a product where, you know, mm -hmm. the investment can come. You know, people like me are in the service-oriented industry. And uh, we know that we can only scale up to a level. We can only impact only that much. And the VC funding is not coming this this way. You have to think in another direction, maybe digitalization, something. And so many people have been telling me, listen, boss, you need to grow now. And, you know, you need to gather funding. Just, you know, think of ideas and just don't do this impact on ground kind of a thing. You'll never grow in life. And I keep looking at people who keep getting money every day to say, oh my God, now this company got so much money, that company got so much money. 
but um, somewhere I think after this conversation, I think I'm doing a good job and I'm at least sleeping well. <laughs> I'm smiling most uh, of the times. I'm happy with the impact that I'm creating and the love that I get from the work that I do. So I think I should be in a happy space. So thank you for uh, bringing this up and what an important topic and the way that you're bringing in also conversations with the real people who are doing this, um, it's commendable. So thank you. I appreciate that. It's really it's, it's interesting. In um, there have been some very high profile mental health challenges for entrepreneurs in India, right? People taking their lives, uh, people um, not being able to cope, right? Uh, so listen to you talk about this expectation on you need to find ways to scale yeah. it's really difficult to go maybe this isn't about scale or maybe my definition of scale is how many people i affect yeah then yeah sure we've been through this with our fintech business where we have this joke whenever we have a difficult conversation or a problem to crack we need to remind ourselves that this is not a dog walking app we're building a lending business and the reason we're saying this is because there was not that long ago a dog walking app, an app that finds dog walkers for your dogs that was funded by SoftBank to yes. the tune of 400 million US. Yes. How <laughs> is how is this possible, you know? So this is the disconnect between venture money in abundance and businesses that care about people. Wow. But from an entrepreneurship um, world that you know we are all striving to be in, there is a lot of risk which comes along. And uh, of course, you need to have a serious risk appetite for it with your own personal and professional ventures um, and the kind of people that you meet. What do you want to say about that? <laughs> so my partner and I are at the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to risk appetite. Oh, really? He is actually a risk specialist in a bank. <laughs> oh wow. So when we discuss about choices that we have to take together, we're usually like, I'm just gonna, oh, it's just something, what's the worst that can happen? And he has a very structured way to list all the things that could go wrong and they all need to be weighted. So some of it is intrinsic. I don't think you can learn it. I think some of it is just I don't know, genetic education, whatever it is, but uh I have never figured out why I don't have that. I have always had this confidence that whatever happens, I'll, I'll just get back on my feet. Um, wow. The thing, this is, we're talking about professional, right? The interesting thing for me on the personal level is that whenever I've been in a, in a romantic relationship, and I mentioned the one for 17 years, the paradigm I had was my parents haven't been married all their lives. They were the first people they were with. Yeah. And I could not imagine leaving a relationship and starting a new one because that risk just sounded way too big because I had no frame of reference. So I stayed in that relationship way too long. And it took a long time for me to say, you know what, if something doesn't work, it's also okay to walk away from it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, there were very different speeds at which I've learned to embrace my risk appetite. Let's call it that. Wow. So everybody who has such a wide experience is writing a book. Are you? <laughs> I'm um, just asking, are you writing a book on, <laughs> on everything that's coming out? It's so much to know. It's so much beautiful stuff that you're telling. Don't let this go. 
you're very kind actually i i like to talk i really struggle to write <laughs> even even writing a letter sometimes feels like effort i never considered it um it's 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 um I'm, you just did something that doesn't happen very often i'm quite speechless because it's not something that ever crossed my mind um i like storytelling i like listening to people explaining things in a story and i try to apply a similar way when i talk about the complexities of our lending business or even the conversation we're having now but um yeah maybe something to think over the weekend <laughs> yeah you must because i'm thinking you know all the the meat that i am collecting through the second act stories uh you know it will merit somebody who is probably not listening at that time and can definitely read about it you have so much stuff for the entrepreneurs and um i think yeah not weekend but start working on it it'll be a big hit it's it's funny when i was when i was getting ready for the for the podcast i was thinking because you are called second act and i was trying to count on which act i'm on and i couldn't put a number to it because the acts are different right so yeah. uh i'm on my what fifth business but some of them didn't feel like a new act it was just a new a new scene in the play but some of them were fundamental ruptures or moving countries or new relationships and i think there's multiple registers here but i think it's exciting because oh it's exciting to me i think i also want to acknowledge that for some people the stability and the predictability and the safety that one act gives them yeah is fine because that's what they need but it's the ones in the middle who are curious and they want to put their toe in the water, but they don't realize. Sometimes, sometimes, maybe sometimes you need to be pushed into the water as well. <laughs> you're standing by the pool, you're putting your toe in the water, the water is a little bit cold, but you don't know that if you actually jump, it's going to be great. So sometimes a little nudge yeah. and losing your job, for instance, a lot of entrepreneurs I've worked with started a business because they lost their job and they had to face if they go back into the corporate life. Yeah. or use this as an opportunity to try at least and and the key thing here is all these things are a little bit easier if you understand that there's room for experimentation in play because you can go out and try something create an environment that gives you a way back people always assume that once you start playing around with something there's no way back yeah there always is Thanks, Nick, that you discussed about so many various acts and what came out of, you know, for you and, of course, for some people when they're content and they don't look at another act and that's fine for them as well. But well, the the real intention of second act as a name is really not an act. It is really a higher purpose, as I say, or something that, you know, we we don't even discover all our life. Like you said, sometimes we just need to nudge ourselves. Sometimes we need to put our feet in cold water. But... Um, you know, there's something which is driving us, um, waking us up every morning where we want to just, you know, like feel good about ourselves. So tell me a little bit about what is that purpose? What is that life for you where, you know, you just wake up and say, hey, this is my second act, which I'm living for. The um, So I grew up in a very religious household. My, my parents are Christian, Greek Orthodox, and my dad was a lay preacher. So he was a theologian and I was completely immersed in religion 
but it was a religion that was very intolerant and was not very accepting of my life. As a gay man, I, there was no room for this. So I grew up with a very conflicted relationship with religion. So when I talk about, when I hear higher purpose or um, comparable words, I try to abstract this and take it away from religion. And the reason I'm talking about this is because the thing that fascinated me was when we talked to a lot of the entrepreneurs that we dealt with on the podcast, a lot of people find strength and solace in their faith. Um, the nice thing to be far away from it is that it doesn't matter if it's a Muslim entrepreneur or a Hindu entrepreneur or a Christian entrepreneur, they all have their own um, access to something that gives them a framework and some values that they draw uh, which actually helped me relax a little bit about around it because at the beginning we say, oh, I, I kind of, yeah, whenever get, things get difficult, my faith really helps me through it. And at the beginning I had a visceral response to this going, oh, no, not another one. But I've learned to take a step back and recognize that people have frameworks that ultimately are values frameworks. Um, mine is maybe a little bit more secular, but I genuinely believe that... Uh, I have been born into a framework of privilege that I have achieved through hard work and luck and opportunity. And I can't imagine not using that to have the ones who didn't have this opportunity. So that's a driver for me. And that could be the impact business and it could be the mental health business. Just because I was exposed to something and I had that insight, I'll just do my best to help. I do have an ego mm -hmm. and I've talked a lot about this with my therapist as well, just to explore about how much of this is purely for me to be a good person and be recognized as a good person and people going, you're doing a good job. And it's something that it's always there. And I think we all have that and I've learned to acknowledge it and not fight it, but also not let it drive me. Um, when I used to have my FinTech career, before I walked away from it, I had a quite a big following. I was on, I don't know, influencer, like I was a top 50 influencers in fintech and all that. And that fed my ego. And I was quite with recognition of the work that was done. And then I walked away from it and we launched the Future Farm. Wow. So two and, a, two, two and a half years after being away from all of this, I thought, okay, I've got two platforms. LinkedIn and Twitter. So we're going to make this huge announcement and then we'll get a lot of interest and traction. And, <laughs> and we launched on the day um, that we launched, we had the same campaign on the two different mediums. LinkedIn went super well. People that knew me for a long time came back and said, oh, this is really interesting. Tell me more. People signed up for the newsletter, et cetera, et cetera. Twitter, zero. Really? Zero. No Nobody cared that I said something. Nobody cared that I did something. Nobody cared that I existed. And it took me a long time to process that. And that took away from, I had so much positive response on LinkedIn. So that was one of those things where I had to go, why is this external validation important to me? And little by little, I realized that it actually isn't. There was also a habit. And there was also like uh, a, a thing that needed to be fed. So to what what makes you get up in the morning and do this it's ultimately it's the purpose that drives it and you realize after time that some of these things are noise and distractions and my life has been very pleasant without anybody on twitter caring anymore what i have to say 
that's commendable. I don't think they deserve somebody like you. Let's put it that way, right? <laughs> <laughs> so next, I mean, in the middle of all the work that you're doing on mental health, how are you taking care of your own mental health? Um, multiple ways. I've learned late in my life the importance of physical exercise. I've always been exercising. I've been a personal trainer going to the gym, but it felt more like lip service than actually doing it consistently enough that it actually benefits me. I discovered early last year yoga. Oh, nice. and I need to be very explicit about this. I hope we have time. And you can yeah. guess that I can talk, right? I so um, I've tried yoga before, but the yoga that I tried in London was what I describe as the Lululemon yoga. It's a brand. It's a yes, yeah. I know. So it's 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 it's, it's yoga that's been it's been kind of worn by people who go to yoga every day because it's a lifestyle choice. You know, it's it's um, and I met this amazing person who was on an advisory board of a fintech company with me, who was an ex banker who left the banking world behind in his late forties and decided to dedicate his life to study and practice of yoga wow. so it wasn't it wasn't a slender woman with pads. <laughs> it was a a man in his late 50s with a belly and a beard <laughs> and and he explained to me why he's doing this and the spirituality behind this and the practice and i was really intrigued by breath work so for me the attraction the entry point was the breath work because i had heard a lot about it and i wanted to experience it and he said to me look i'm doing this course i'm doing a class every day uh, why don't you just try and work for you and it's very much like it's an hour or minutes of breath work but half an hour of different uh, positions and then 15 minutes of relaxation and meditation yeah. wow. and out of nowhere I started every day five days a week 7 30 till 8 30 a.m stumbling into the zoom class and it was literally me a couple of other people here in the UK and a bunch of Indian aunties someone in India who were all in their 70s and wow. it was non-threatening it was there was variation there was humor spirituality so that became a thing for me but this is more the practices side the big thing for me is always going to be therapy because i like to talk and it's a way of of processing information in conversation and my therapist knows that what i do this for is i need somebody neutral and a kind of objective to say look you're saying these words and this here and sometimes there's this interview and goes but that's really is that is that it yeah, it makes perfect sense. I want to ask you a question on therapy now because is therapy an ongoing process in life or is it like that you can take some therapy for like some sessions and then you're done? What is therapy for you? Different things. Um, I go to therapy for different reasons. I sometimes go there because I want to talk through something that is burning in my day-to-day -day. okay sometimes i go because i have identified over process something that i want to explore uh, which is a longer process uh, but it definitely is something that i've been using consistently but not continuously so there's a period of a year where i want to see my therapist i want to see my therapist once a week 
And then I reached that point where I had enough of other support tools like the yoga, when I, like exercise, like no stresses in my day-to-day -day, that I didn't feel I needed it. And then about three months ago, I went back and said, you know what? I kind of feel I need something, but not as frequent. So I see my therapist now. Uh, so for me, it's a tool, but it's also a bit of a hygiene factor. It's a little bit like brushing your teeth. Nice. You know, you know, I know that for me, if I don't do it, something will start to rot. <laughs> so I, I definitely attribute as much value to it as physical exercise or nice. other other practices. Nice. It's not for everybody. Sorry. Yeah, but I think during COVID, a lot of therapists mushroomed. I feel everybody calls them like a coach or therapist, a mentor, different names, but... Um, um, so it's difficult to find that the person who actually, you know, gives you that comfort and really is authentic by the end of it. So, but that's dating for me. Whenever I recommend to somebody that maybe you should talk to somebody and go, oh, how do I find them? He goes, you're not going to, the first one is probably not going to be the right one. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to get history and the girls take what they said to you seriously. Cause otherwise it's just lip service. So true. So we have gone from talking about the financial world to the mental world, to the physical world, to the psychological world. What a podcast. I mean, I have to say <laughs> so much got discussed in life for almost 15 minutes. And thank you. I mean, it's such a very choice of topics. Anybody who relates to either of them can literally like hear what they want to hear in this one. And thank you for sharing everything so blatantly. Uh, I have a very sweet um, ending to my podcast, which is a rapid fire. I don't know if you're aware of okay. what rapid fire is. I yes, just... I'm aware of the format. Okay, so I just ask you a few quick questions and then there you go. Yeah, maybe sometimes you're not able to give a quick answer, but I don't think you will get stuck. So I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to ask you a few. So um, just let me just get to some interesting questions as well. We'll have to cut this out because then, because I had written some specific questions for you, and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, I got it. So, what old person things do you do? What old person things do I do? Yeah, loads of them. <laughs> okay. um, especially since COVID, I no longer go to concerts where you have to stand and be surrounded by people. I need to be sitting, and I need to have the comfort <laughs> of distance that's cool okay so who's your favorite cartoon character oh uh i grew up watching asterix asterix the the, the goal I, i'm not a big cartoon fan so for me i had to dig for that all right uh what's your guilty pleasure um no pleasure is guilty huh what? okay so all the time you need pleasure around you that's a good answer when when I have pleasure, why should I feel guilty about it? Okay, so if you ever go on a cruise or if you've ever been on a cruise, what's your destination? <laughs> That's a funny one because my partner and I, we have this big disagreement. I've never been on a cruise, always wanted to go one and he feels terrified of being trapped on a boat with no escape for, for days and end. I'd love to see the fjords. I would like to see Norway and the cold waters. <laughs> okay. okay and um of course my very interesting last question is what keeps you going what motivates you every day despite everything that comes your way 
people are interesting and wonderful. And it's just great to get up in the morning and go, I have no idea what great conversations I'll have today. And for me, that's the thing that I wake up for. So thank you, Nick. And uh, what a pleasure. I'm looking forward to meeting you in Mumbai. I didn't ask you about the LGBTQ bank. Of course, that is one question that is left. But um, this is a space that I'm working on as well, uh, you know, because I do not think that it's still equal in every in, in every way for everybody. Uh, the world is not as inclusive as we want it to be. So in our own small ways, big ways, I think we need to work towards making it really inclusive and not only talk about it. So uh, there should be always, I always feel there should be some conversation always le left for the next time. Plenty and, of those. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to talk about. So thanks. Well, thank you for having Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. And hopefully some of this was of interest to somebody. I'm always available. I'm easy to find with my name. So just look me up online. No. <laughs> by the way, no. <laughs> but I love Greek men, by the way. So mm. I, a lot of us do. <laughs> Thanks for being on the podcast, Nick. And um, see you soon. Thank you, Ashley.